Let's get into God's word this morning. <clears throat> I titled the message, The Wicked Plot, The Righteous Rejoice. And uh, notice here the introduction to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And indeed, we know that, and we see this is another psalm that, that God moved on David to write. Again, addressing the chief musician, it's a reminder to us that these psalms were written to music. And these psalms were sung. This is their hymnal. And so many of the songs we sing have the psalms integrated in them as they should. We want to sing God's word. We want to proclaim it. We want to think on it. Now we come to this psalm and again we see David, a man after God's own heart, as declared there by Saul or or by by, uh, Samuel or God told Samuel when he went to anoint David, I'm going to raise up one who has a heart after me and in in Acts 13 it speaks of David a man after God's own heart and in these psalms that he wrote we see in one after another David seeking after God and the ups and downs in life and the things that would come his way Uh, he had a continual walk and relationship with God there was a few seasons where he backslid hard but God chastened him God scourged him and David pulled out of those by the help of God Almighty We also see, though, in many of these psalms that David, a man after God's own heart, was a man who had much conflict in his life. It's amazing how many of these psalms revolved around conflict. In fact, just about every point in David's life, he had conflict. From the time he was a boy, a shepherd boy, to those early days there serving under Saul, to those seasons out there in the wilderness running from Saul, and the times he was king over Judah, and then over Israel and you read it in psalm after psalm you read it in his life in first Samuel and second Samuel and chronicles and so forth it seems like this guy rarely had a season rarely had a year where where there wasn't conflict around him and it's interesting as you go through the word just about every man and woman of God that you find in the scriptures has ongoing conflict with others in their life now absolutely it's not conflict with everybody but absolutely with certain individuals and groups bent on opposing the truth. Those that find the cross of Calvary to be an offense in the Old and the New Testament. Those trying to hunt down men and women of God, trying to harm them. You see it again in patriarch after patriarch. You look at Moses' life, and we've looked at his life a lot over the last several months in fact over the last year in exodus and leviticus and now in numbers on wednesday night and we see time and time again the children of israel the very people that god sent moses to deliver out of egypt as a type of christ we continually see conflict between moses and those individuals those individuals coming against the call on moses to follow the lord and lead these people continual grumble grumbling and complaining and so forth You see it in the lives of men like Daniel and Joseph and Paul. Daniel, who was that politician, a godly politician in that. Through all those different regimes, when they were in that Babylonian captivity, God would continually bring them to the top and use them as a witness to whoever was in charge. And yet we think of Daniel in the lion's den, and it's easy for people's minds to initially go to the lions and the angels shutting their mouths. But remember, he ended up there because of opposition individuals that were opposed to him trying to find fault in his life when they couldn't find that they tricked the king and issuing a decree degree about only praying to the king and not praying to any other god and his for a stance with the lord he was thrown into that 
den with those lions and yet God preserved him and used it for God's glory and even for Daniel's good you look at a man like Joseph the opposition from his own brothers this man of God who God had a call on it again another type of Christ whom God would use to preserve Israel now it didn't help that his dad made him that coat of many colors and he had the many colors and other brothers didn't there was jealousy and so forth but listen that was also prophetic and those brothers in their carnality and hardness of heart couldn't get that and so they were opposed to again his walk with the Lord Paul you know you read through his life and some of the testimony that he gives of all the things that he went through much of that from the hand of man the Pharisees continually wanting to try to hunt him down and so forth and then you look at the individual with the most conflict and we see it was the Lord Jesus Christ a lot of people when they think about Jesus they think of some kumbaya granola eating hippie and listen if you're a granola eating hippie that's all fine and good but they put him in this category we just ran around and was at peace with everybody he came through and yet you you read the scriptures and that's not the case people got infuriated with the lord jesus christ in his own hometown they went to kill him in nazareth to drive him off that cliff that you can even go today and see and yet he went right through him the pharisees plotting against him at every turn because he preached again that biblical message that the savior had come into the world to die for them and salvation only came by grace through faith in him not by works of the law you even see at times the disciples opposing the lord jesus christ and the lord saying having to say to them get behind me satan you're not mindful of the things of god but of the things of men you see jesus having conflict with his own brothers again before he was resurrected they thought he was out of his mind our brother has a messiah conflict yet after the resurrection he came to salvation and again even the politicians of the day herod and Pilate, becoming friends over their opposition of the lord jesus christ and all these men all these women that we see in scripture all these patriarchs all of them had an ongoing conflict an ongoing spiritual battle in the heavenlies with satan and his fallen angels Now listen, we should ask the question, why is that the case with these men? And then we should ask the question, should that be the case with us? And as we open up the word of God, we get answers to these things. And we see that absolutely there was a reason for this that was a good reason. And absolutely it should be the case with us on some level at some point, at least at some time. I've been reading through Isaiah and I'm in Jeremiah and my devotions, but came across this verse the other day Isaiah 59 14 and 15 it says justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth has fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter so truth fails and then notice here and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey I think about a predator and a prey it's a picture of being hunted that if you depart from evil and the Bible says let all who name the name of Jesus Christ depart from evil you're going to be prey you're going to be hunted jesus said in john 15 18 if the world hates you you know it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own yet because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you and all these men moses daniel joseph paul jesus daniel there was a hatred of them because they were in the world but they were not of the world it's a picture again of a fish going upstream and if all the fish are going this way and there's one or three or five fish going this way that group coming this way are going to be very annoyed of this fish going that way 
You ever been in a crowd like that? Everyone's going this way and there's that one guy trying to get through and bumping into everyone. Hey, what are you doing? You need to turn around and go with the flow. You need to go with the many instead of having to go with the few. But as followers of Christ, it's amplified umpteen times more because it's a spiritual thing that's going on. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And there's a spiritual battle taking place that so many of these individuals that even oppose the things of God and the people of God and the word of God, they're oblivious to it. Now, some people aren't oblivious to it, but most are oblivious to it. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, I hope that's all of us in this room this morning, will suffer persecution. And then you think about Matthew 10.34. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. And there's so many folks, again, they think coming to Christ is going to bring peace between them and all those around them. And absolutely, we should strive to be at peace with all those around us as much as it's due to us, provided we are not compromising the truth of the scriptures. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And that was kind of already in play already, you know. (laughs) Not always, but, you know, oftentimes. You'll never be able to love him the way that I love him, you know. (laughs) You can't fold that laundry the way I can. But a man's enemies, he says, will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And how many individuals, again, they've had conflict with their closest of kin because they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know there's some people, maybe even this morning, they hear that and they're offended by that. How dare Jesus say, I have to love him more than my father, mother, my children, my husband, my wife. Listen, God gave you those parents. God gave you those kids. God gave you that spouse. You really want to love them the right way? Then love the Lord first. And if you're compromising truth, thinking that you love them so we can all get along, aren't you concerned about their eternal soul? We got to be careful. We might be loving people right to hell. And that's not love at all. So again, this conflict was continual. Continual in David's life, a man after God's own heart. And here's a great truth. Listen, if there's never conflict in our life over our Christianity, that's not necessarily a good thing. That might be the product of us compromising peace with God to be at peace with people. Based on these four scriptures we just read in Isaiah, John, 2 Timothy, and Matthew, it may be that there's no conflict in your life because you're wanting to, to, to entertain evil versus depart from it. It could be that you're in the world and you're living just like the world and the world's going to have no issue with that. In fact, oftentimes the world embraces Christians that behave just like them because it eases their conscience. Well, he's a Christian. He's doing what I'm doing. I must be okay. It may be that we are not really desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus. So there's no persecution. And again, it could be that we are loving others more than God 
himself. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. And this is where we got to step back and look internally at our own lives. In fact, when we open the Word of God, when you're in devotions, Bible study, listening to teaching on a podcast, whatever, it is always important that we recognize, listen, this is being said, this is being preached, this is being put forth for me to take this and shine a light on my own life. God, what do you want to show me? There's another side of this, an opposite side. Listen, if you have continual conflict because of your sinful flesh, that's not good either. And we talked about it before. There are many times when there are people that are jerks for Jesus, and that's the reason for all their conflict. It has nothing to do with Jesus, but they try to pin it on Jesus. And if you're running around, and again, you're full of unforgiveness and bitterness and keep records of wrongs and use people, and you've got your own agenda, and as a result, you have conflict. Don't pin that upon God. You better be real with God, and you better lay that down before the Lord. We want our sufferings to be sufferings for Christ, for his glory, not suffering for being those that are embracing and walking in sin. So with all this said, again, we're going to read through this psalm and go through it. And as we do this, this is going to help us in responding to these conflicts that are going to come up as followers of Christ. We're also going to get some insight here uh, on how fallen men conspire Uh, get instruction on how to pray and assurance that we need not tremble because this ends in talking about how those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are righteous, that they are going to rejoice. And David kept an eternal perspective before him on all these things. You understood this is temporary here. This is going to come. This is going to go. How is this going to play out? How is this going to end? Looking at the end game. Again, even willing to have conflict for the souls of those around him. Versus just going along with it. And, and, and have you seen there, there, there's a stirring in the world? You know, it, it, even, a, 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 you know, now there's even, you know, names like bigot and prejudice and all these things put upon Christians to say Jesus is the only way. You know, that's unacceptable by the world. And yet, we better proclaim Jesus is the only way. You know why? Jesus said he's the only way. And he's the only one to deal with the issue of sin. You're not going to find forgiveness of sin in any other way. And that's the thing that separates us from God. God's holy. Sin brings death. God's not bringing rebellion into glory. It ain't going to be we're a bunch of little gods and we're going to figure this out with God. He doesn't need us to figure anything out. We messed it all up. But he's made that way again of forgiveness, of salvation, to be in right standing with him through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's an offense. That's an offense to fallen men. Let's read through the text together, then we'll dive into it here. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, and my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? Verse 6, they devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. 
For they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. Now notice how it starts here. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. There's times when we see David in the Psalms crying out verbally. And then there's times like this where we see David crying out in his heart, in his thoughts, in silent prayers. And listen, I think if we have the option I think we're far better off crying out verbally. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I enter into my prayer closet, if I'm not crying out verbally, it's easy to wander off in your mind. And then that thing you're praying about, the next thing you know, it's just the thing you're thinking about. It's also easy when we are not verbalizing our prayers to the Lord to become one with your pillow very quickly, right? We even see the disciples doing that. The Lord's about to be crucified and they're over there taking a nap. But oftentimes we don't have that liberty. There's oftentimes when we're in places where, you know, we're required to pray in our heart, to pray in our thoughts. And I believe that's where we can even fulfill and where that call uh, to pray without ceasing is found. To understand, yes, there's that time for that verbal praise and prayer to God, which should be part of our daily life. But from there, you go out to the workplace, and, you know, if you're talking to Jesus the whole time while you're trying to interact with customers, you're probably going to lose your job, you know? So, uh, you know, think about Nehemiah and, and that prayer before the Lord when the king's asking about his countenance, and he cries out to God, and God goes before him and talking about the wall broken down around Israel and so forth. And so he hears our meditations. He hears, you know, those thoughts, those silent prayers, and he knows everything going on in our heart, on our minds. And on one hand, that's incredibly wonderful. But if we're going to be truthful, on another hand, that's incredibly frightening. Again, it's wonderful that, that he hears those prayers when they brought up before him, our meditations on the scripture and so forth. But he also sees and hears when we're lusting in our heart, when we're hating in our heart. When we're plotting in our heart, we just read the psalm, when we're the ones trying to move in secret in our hearts, not that any of us in this group have ever done that, but we have, and he sees those things. Again, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, and he looks down and he sees our heart right now. He knows the things going through our mind right now. He knows the things that, again, we're wrestling with in our inward man right now so on and so forth and I don't know about you but in my walk with the Lord I want to ask the Lord to help me and to forgive me concerning my fleshly musings because the flesh oftentimes again gets us musing about things that aren't to the glory of God and I also pray that God would hear and respond to my meditations upon the word of God and my cry to help for him and in all of it it's amazing to me that he knows all the things that go on my mind and yet he still loves me (laughs) and he knows all the things that go on in your mind and guess what he loves you isn't that incredible and he continues to show his mercy and forgiveness and he gropes for all men to come to know him he's long-suffering not wanting any to perish and I think that's something we need to celebrate and rejoice in and put the emphasis on him because he is good and we are fallen men now notice the meditation of his heart the first you know words we see that are bubbling forth in his soul he says preserve my life from the fear of the enemy so david's thoughts are fixed on god david cries out to god and we need to do the same thing 
crying out for preservation. And it's wonderful because as you open the scripture, you see prayers and you see pictures of preservation throughout the word of God. You see God preserving his people. And you see, again, when we pass from this life to the next, we have that ultimate preservation in his presence. I think of Paul there in 2 Timothy 4. It's at the end of his life. And we talked already a little bit about the many oppositions that he had. Notice here, though, at the end of his days, and this is after multitudes of churches being planted and missionary trips and interactions with, um, you know, at believers and bringing people to Christ. He says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Well, you talk about, you know, a, a tough place to be in. He's speaking about, again, even others in the body of Christ. They all forsook me, none stood with me. But he says, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might hear. So I don't hold it against them because the Lord stood with me. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior today? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, the Lord's gonna stand with you. The Lord's gonna go before you. Sometimes he stands with us, chastening us, right? Correcting us. But he's faithful to us even when we are faithless. And that's something we need to absolutely rejoice in and thank God. He preserves us even again in our shortcomings because of his shed blood. Paul also says, and I was also delivered out of the mouth of a lion. Now, there's some dispute on that. Some people think, yeah, a literal lion had Paul and he was delivered out. Others say, no, this is talking about the devil who walks about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Heck, maybe it was a lion possessed by Satan. We, we don't know, but we know this. The Lord delivered him. And then Paul put forth this great praise. He says in verse 18, there are 2 Timothy 4, and the Lord will deliver me out of every evil work. Notice here, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we need to be able to say amen to that as well. In the midst of confrontation, in the midst of even again, our own shortcomings and our own struggles and so forth. And Paul had those. The Lord's going to preserve us and we are preserved in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He says here though, preserve my life. He doesn't say from the enemy, but he says from the fear of the enemy. And boy, it is so true that oftentimes fear consumes more people than the actual thing that they are fearful of. I mean, think about when you were a kid, there, there's a lot of kids that they're, they're fearful of going to the doctor because they're going to get that shot, and they're consumed by it, and, and you know, they're, they're having these, these outbursts of tears and temper tantrums, and, you know, you're trying to get this kid in the car and so forth, and they're fighting and everything else, and then they finally get there into the doctor, and you know what, he puts them to the side, and he gives them that shot, and they, oh, was that it? And the fear of it was more consuming than what actually took place and there's so many things like that in life listen the enemy is a master of invoking fear upon the people of god and people in general fearful of what's going to come next what's going to happen if this happens this way or that way we even step back in our minds and we create all these scenarios what if this happens what if that happens what if this goes forth listen are you in christ jesus he's going to preserve you and he's going to go before you and if god is with you who can be against you and yet Satan comes and he plays this card over and over and over again. He's a bully. He whispers lies of destruction. He tries to cast shadows of doubt. 
He tries to come upon us with a spirit of dread and hopes that we would fear him over God. We've been called to fear God, right? To have a reverence for God. We should have a fear in our life. Listen, if I don't depart from iniquity, God is going to chasten me. Again, that's a healthy relationship between a child and a parent. I know my parent loves me, but I also know that if I break the rules, I am going to get disciplined. That is a healthy thing. That is a good thing. That will set a child up for success in life. But when we run around in fear, we're fearful of what the devil's going to do to us, what he might do. He loves that. That's worship. When we fear the devil, it is worship and praise to him. And he sits back and he says, look, I'm like, God, they're fearing me. They're giving me reverence. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the devil, the fear of, again, his minions, workers of iniquity. That's a trap is what that is. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So when we're walking in fear, when we're gripped of fear in the midst of oppositions, even in life in general, we're not walking in the Holy Spirit of God. We're being led by another spirit, whether it's our own flesh nature or a spirit opposed to the things of God. So we got to get in the spirit, right? We got to get in the word. We got to lay down what we are fearful of before God Almighty. And it might be, Lord, I'm just, you know what, I'm, I'm fearful of, of what's going to unfold, what's going to happen, what's going to unfold next. And so I want to bring it before you and cast it upon you and get a fresh filling of the Spirit of God. Get your word before me that brings assurance concerning my life here and more so assurance concerning my eternity. And take those thoughts captive and put it down. And let me tell you, some way, sometimes the only way you can deal with the bully is you stand up to him and say, enough is enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. And there's Christians that run around and they spend most of their life, some all their life, walking in fear. And it's time for you to stand up and say, wait a minute, my God's greater than all of these things. And God's brought us this far, hasn't he? Hey, we're all here this morning, aren't we? We're all standing today, aren't we? We're all here gathered, worshiping God today, aren't we? He's brought us this far. He's going to take us all the way to his kingdom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 56.3, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And God, I will praise his word. And God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. Now notice verse two. David says, hide me from their secret plots or from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Now it's interesting. He uses this word secret three times in this psalm. We know that first and foremost, there's a secret spiritual war raging all around us. The Bible speaks about it. There's a veil there that we can't see through, but there is a war raging around. There's a war raging against us this morning. Listen, the enemy of your soul wants you to, to, to not receive what God would have you, have you to receive this morning in this word. Listen, there, there's a war raging uh, against our youth, against our children, and so forth. Even when we gather here, that's why we get here, you know what, before the service to pray. And i love for you to come join us in that. But there's a war raging against your soul, against your family, in your workplace. Again, Satan is very organized in it, and we need to be aware of it. There's so much that we don't know going on in that other realm, and we're better off not knowing. I think if we knew, we'd probably fall over and faint. <laughs> but we know it's there. And here's the good news. God knows everything that's going on. He says, I'm in control. God's not panicking. God's sitting on his throne. 
knowing how all these things are going to work out. This also, though, refers to individuals and groups of people that, again, plot plans of wickedness against those walking in righteousness. Some doing that, knowing what they're doing. Others, it's just the way they live their life. Proverbs 24, 1 and 2 says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Notice here, for their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. And we've seen that in a lot of these Psalms. Plots in the heart, getting together and slandering behind the back with plans to try to overthrow David. And so David cries out, hide me from their secret plots. As they're planning, as they're rebelling, I ask you to hide me. It's interesting, though, this word secret is tied to the occult and practices of the occult. They're not called the dark arts for anything. Those things practice in secret. Practice, again, in kind of a shroud of mystery as men and women interact with the demonic. And that's been around since the fall of man. And these things are alive today. And there's many people that walk in those things, foolishly thinking they are getting some power from the enemy of our souls, really selling their souls to an eternity separated from God Almighty. Now, God can forgive to this day, and he stands ready. But you see this throughout the scripture. In the book of Numbers on Wednesday night, we're almost at Numbers 22. In fact, I think we may get into it this Wednesday night, the Lord willing. We see the children of Israel They're on the cusp of going into the promised land. And to get there, they have to go through all of these nations that are on the other side of the Jordan, east of the Jordan River. And so as they go towards the promised land, they say, hey, can we pass peaceably through your land? And many of these nations, in fact, all of them say no. And they end up going to war with some of these nations. Well, the king of Moab sees this going on, Balak, and what does he do? He doesn't go and hire armies to come fight against Israel. He goes out and he hires a witch. Someone who he knew can manipulate things in the heavenlies. He hires a man named Balaam. In that Numbers 22, 6, he says, Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he who you curse is curse. And then it talks about them coming to Balaam with a diviner's fee or fee for divination. And they say, we're going to hire this witch to go and curse Israel so we can have victory over them. And no doubt, this is something that they have been practicing. They understood there were powers and principalities. And Balaam was an individual that was in a place that had an ability to manipulate those powers and principalities. In fact, remember, he takes them up over the high spot looking over Israel. And he says, listen, I can only say what I'm allowed to say. And instead of blessing Israel or cursing Israel, he blesses Israel. And, and Balak gets upset, takes him to four places. And finally, after not being able to curse him, we find out later on, what's he do? He says, I don't know how to curse him. I can't curse him, but I can stumble him. Send your women amongst them. And watch the Israelite men partake. And watch curse, a curse break out in their camp because of their sin. Because of their weakness in giving in to those temptations. But all of it came from the demonic. All of it was happening in the darkness. Israel did not know what was going on in those cliffs around them as there was curses trying to come on them in the heavenly realm. It's interesting in the scripture, there's many times as well where we see this in the midst of the people of God. In the book of Ezekiel, God says to the prophet in Ezekiel 8, it says, son of man, dig into the wall 
And when I dug into the wall, there was a door, and he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. And the wall that he dug into is where the leadership of Israel was. And what's he find them doing? He finds them practicing witchcraft in there, worshiping demons and so forth. These abominable practices. And there are times in the secret movings of, again, Satan, where he'll try to infiltrate churches with these types of things. The Bible says Satan appears as an angel of light and his workers do the same. I heard a testimony this last week of a man who was a high witch for 18 years. He went in and he got an assignment to go penetrate a church in Milwaukee with the purpose of trying to slander the pastor and take him out of that position. Praise God, eight months in, he got born again. He got saved. And we need to know again, that these things happen, these things go on. is something that we need not fear. But I'm very familiar with our own community here, and I know that these things are practiced widely and broadly in our community. And I know, I know people that sometimes have frequented this place, and I know what they're into. And I hear a lot, and people tell me a lot of things, and there's some things that I don't know, but this is what I do know. God said, bless those that curse you. And I pray just about every day, God, if there's anyone trying to curse this church, if there's anyone cursing me, if there's anyone cursing my daughters, my son, my wife, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll bless them, that you'll bless them. And you got to understand in praying that blessing, it's a prayer that they'll fall on their knees and confess their sin and ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. But these plots happen in the secret. The Bible also speaks about men in high up places plotting. Psalm 2 talks about it. The nation's plotting against God. Some would call it something like the Illuminati. I'm, you know, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of conspiracies, but we know biblically, nations plot. And what does God do? Does God tremble? No, it says he sits in heaven and he laughs. He laughs. It's like, you know what, if a bunch of ants were plotting against you, oh, look at those ants down there. All you, you all go like that, right? And okay, how were those plans, you know? And these nations plot because these people get emboldened by these lies. Men thinking they're God. We're not God. He's God and we're not. And he says, my holy one's going to reign in Zion. So again, I know there's a lot of Christians that get wrapped up in this and they're watching the news every day and what's going to unfold. And we should be aware of what's going on. We should understand the times. We should be active and again, voting and Politics, if the Lord calls you that, go honor God in it. Go serve God in it. But boy, don't let your knees knock in fear. My God's on the throne and he's coming back. And these things are unfolding as he said that they would. But the enemy wants to invoke that fear. Now notice they plot in secret. What's David doing? David's praying in secret. And that's how you combat these things, on your knees before God. Calling out to him, praying to him. Asking God to go before you. Asking God to give you peace that passes understanding. And again, listen, none of this escapes his notice. He knows all that's going on. And so where's that put us? We're on a need-to-know basis. If I need to know, I'll know. And if I don't know, listen, I can see biblically that this stuff's going on. So I'll just even pray about what I don't know. God, if there's things I don't know, go before me. Put a hedge of protection around me. And let me shine a light for you. That these individuals would even come to Christ. Again, they're thinking they're fighting against flesh and blood. But really, again... It's a rebellion as they work iniquity against God Almighty. Now notice verse 3, and we'll pick up the pace here. It says about these individuals, the, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words. And so this speaks of a people that, 
Again, they're not trying to tame the tongue. As followers of Christ, we're called to tame the tongue, aren't we? And it's quite a challenge. Has anyone tamed it yet? Anyone arrived? I mean, there's times all the time, it's like, oh, I wish I could get that back, and it's out there. We've been called to tame the tongue, and we do that again by being filled with the Spirit of God and getting our minds renewed in the Scriptures. But this speaks of individuals. They don't look to tame it. They look to use it like a weapon, using slander as a, again, chief tool and so forth. Shooting fiery darts. What does David do? He shoots up prayers to God. And then notice these fiery darts, they're bitter words coming from roots of bitterness against God, against truth, against followers of the Lord. We got to make sure that we are not following in that pattern ourselves with bitterness. Notice Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Maybe this morning you're here with bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Maybe you're even bitter because as a servant of God, you have opposition. Oh, I'm, you know, this is Jesus' bitterness, so it's okay. It's not okay. We're called to lay that down. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit active in my life. Verse 4, that they may shoot in secret. Again, there's that word again. At the blameless Suddenly, they shoot at him with no fear. They move again with no fear of God. They're not fearing, um, uh, you know, a consequence of their action. They say, you know, in the next verse, who will see us? No one sees us, and yet God sees it all. There's no wisdom in what they do. Again, going after the blameless. Why? To feel better about their own sin, to stop the gospel, thinking they'll make God go away. Have you seen there's a real movement in our nation to try to cleanse it of God? That's like going in the corner, putting your head down and saying, we're going to wish away the sun. It's not going to happen. And it's never going to happen with God who made that sun and sustained that sun and who's told us we're going to have seasons until the coming of Jesus Christ. Notice as well, or suddenly shoot at him with no fear. And how oftentimes the enemy likes to work this way. He works in an effort to blindside the believer. You ever get sucker punched? It hurts. One time, just, you know what, there was a confrontation. It wasn't centered around the things of Christ. It was before Christ. And I remember turning and seeing about four inches from my face, a fist coming right up my nose, and bam, that thing just landed. That hurt. And there were stars that were seen and so forth, and I had to step back and grab my bearings, and we'll just end the story right there. But the enemy tries to work that way and maybe you're in a season this morning where it's like yeah i had some confrontation things have really settled down and i thank you for the season that i'm in yeah thank god for that but listen draw near to god because the enemy's always plotting he's always strategizing he's always looking for an opportune time verse five they encourage themselves in an evil matter they talk of laying snares secretly again third time secretly they say who will see them well, they're foolish because God sees it all. And I don't have time to read the passages, but as you go through the scripture, you're going to see this over and over again. These individuals scheming in secret, encouraging themselves. How many times Saul encouraged himself with, with his heart to see the demise of David? I mean, he even gives David his own daughter, Michael, as a wife, and he encourages himself because he says, I know she'll be a stumbling block to him. 
You think of it about in the days of Nehemiah, Sambal and Tobiah encouraged themselves. What are these feeble Jews doing trying to rebuild this wall? And the one says, yeah, if a fox gets on it, it will fall over. And they all laugh, trying to, again, encourage themselves in that evil matter. Think about the book of Esther, Haman coming against Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow to this guy, this Agai. And in the midst of all these things, he's so upset. And his wife says to him in Esther 5.15, it says that she said to him, let the gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hung on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman or Haman and he made the, and, and he had the gallows made. He was encouraged by his wife, make those gallows and Mordecai will be hung on and then you can go away joyfully, feeling good about it. There's a sickness there when you are joyful about anyone being hung. I think even when it's, you know, lawfully justified as, you know, there should be those laws in every land biblically, there still should be a grieving about it, right? We'll come back to that though in a second because those gallows ended up being used for someone else. Quickly, verse 6, they devise iniquities. They say, quote, we have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. So again, these things are going on in the depths of man, but God knows it all. Satan has been trying to perfect his shrewd schemes for 6,000 years, and yet again, they have failed time and time again. We read about how it ends. This dispensation ends with Satan and the armies of the earth gathered against Armageddon. They think they're going to fight God and defeat him. And literally, they're going to think, we've perfected this now. We know how to take God out. I've read the end of the story, though. It doesn't work out well for them. Verse 7, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly, they shall be wounded. And notice, listen, God has arrows too. And if you're going to mess around with the people of God, the children of God, eventually, God's going to deal with that. Sometimes it happens on this side of eternity and sometimes it happens on the next side. And it all worked out except for those two words, but God. And listen, you need to remember that. You need to remember that this morning in the midst perhaps of discouragement or opposition or spiritual warfare or you know tuck this away in your heart from when those days come because if you're a follower of christ if you desire to live godly in christ jesus they will you need to remember in all of it two words hey all this is going on but god but god is on the throne but god is going before me but god's ruling and reigning on high and suddenly in god's perfect timing he's going to intervene and these shall be wounded now i don't think we should rejoice in them being wounded but we should rejoice absolutely in god going before us and the prayer should be that they would cry out to god before they come to that place of being wounded they'd understand that jesus was wounded for them so that they could have forgiveness of sin notice as well though again that word suddenly it indicating that For many of these individuals, suddenly things aren't going to work out the way they thought they would. And suddenly their life's going to be over and they're going to give an account to the living God. And I think it's healthy for us at least one time a week when you go to bed, when you lay there, you ask yourself, what if I don't wake up tonight? Am I ready to stand before God Almighty? If it suddenly ends tonight. I think if more people would do that, a lot more people would come to Christ. So many people, they won't consider their ladder in. They put that off. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you lay on your bed tonight and you ask, what would it be like if I stood before God? And you think, well, I did a lot of good works. 
Now our sin separates us from God. I would hope that if you don't today already, if you haven't already, you'd call out to Christ so you can know I'd stand before him knowing I'm forgiven. But Christian as well, what are you doing with what he's called you to? Are you burying your gifts? Are you about his time of business? Or have you been putting that off saying, well, down the road, we'll start serving God. We're going to give an account for our life. Verse 8, it says, he will make them stumble over their own tongue, and all who see shall flee away. And again, Mordecai, boasting, yeah, build those gallows. He went and he put it forth. He ended up being hung on those gallows himself. Remember this. Listen, remember this when there's individuals unlawfully and unjustly slandering you, moving in the secret, trying to tear you down as a follower of Christ. If you're a Christian, if you follow him, it's going to happen. For some of you, you might be in the midst of it right now, but it's going to come. Can anyone bear witness to this this morning? You ever been in that place? Listen, Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and who and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. This is an encouragement to us. I don't got to run around and practically combat this self. As I've said many times, life is too short to live your life trying to get vindication from men, to try to seek vengeance. God says vengeance is his. It says we'll be vindicated in the presence of God. A lot of times the enemy uses this just to get our focus off what we should be doing to the Lord, to be focused on these secret plots and plans. Listen, I'm on a need-to-know basis, and when I know, I know I need to pray. But other than that, we can know as they're digging a pit for me, they're going to fall in that themselves, so I don't need to do anything. Oh, you better set a trap for them. They're already setting that, and I hope when they're in that pit, they'd cry out to Jesus Christ. And if that rock rolls on them, I hope they would call out to Christ. Because if they don't call out to him eternally, they'll be crushed on that rock. But if they fall on that rock, they'll be broken to be put back together better in him. Finally, verse 9 and 10, it says, All men shall fear and declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. And indeed, we read in Philippians chapter 2, The day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And it says that's true of those on earth, above the earth, and those below the earth, that even in hell. There's going to be confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the wise thing to do is to fear him today, to declare the works of God today, to wisely consider the doings of God today. And then lastly, as David's having an eternal perspective of all this, why is this happening? How is this going to work out? We got to look past the end of our nose with these things. He says, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. And again, our righteousness is only found when we're in the Lord and we're only in the Lord by trusting in the Lord and trusting our soul to the Lord. And in the end of all this, we are going to be glad. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. Righteousness and the righteousness of Christ is going to prevail. And these things here, they're momentary light affliction and they can't be compared for the things God has for us. We got to get these truths before us. And listen, it's not by chance that psalm after psalm, every other psalm has these types of things. Because again, if you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to see that sword at times. How are you going to respond? You're going to shrink back. You're going to say, this isn't for me. Are you going to draw near to the Lord and understand this is normal. This is going to happen. And so let me, again, get built up in him, get an internal perspective, really understand what's going on so that I can shine for him all the more in the midst of opposition and my voice is about to go let's stand up
Let's pray and we'll close in worship of God. <clears throat> he gives us everything we need. Last four days I was fighting a cold or whatever, and then woke up feeling really good today. Lord God, we praise you, we bless you, we just thank you for who you are, God. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that these things are spoken of and they're talked about in Scripture. So when they happen, God, we, Lord, have assurance that this is par for the chorus of followers of Jesus Christ. I thank you that through your shed blood, God, that, that, that we're no longer enemies of, of God Almighty, but we have salvation in you, God. And I want to pray that we could be a people, God, that represent you well and shine for you, God. That we'd even have a, a great heart, Lord, for those that are, are, are in the deepest opposition of you, knowing, God, that you love them. And so oftentimes when those that are kicking the most are the closest to coming to Christ. If you're here today and you haven't called on them, you've, you've heard the gospel today. You've heard the bad news about our sin and separation from God, but you've heard the good news about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and what he's done for us. And the Bible makes it clear that whoever, whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. And if you haven't called on him, it's time to do that today. And that, that means you are denouncing your own lordship. And you're asking Christ to be the Lord of your life. You're asking him to rule over your life, to be your God. And listen, when we call out to him in, in humility and in truth, he'll meet you right where you are. He longs to do that. He wants to do that. Call on him if you have not, Lord. Or call on the Lord if you have not. Lord, help us just to, again, lift our voices to you and just close your wells as the assembly of your brother and just giving you praise and honor. Let's worship them as we close here. How lovely is your dwelling place O Lord Almighty My soul Thou 
Amen. Amen. Well, just encourage you before you leave, the altar is open up here. Just want to invite any prayer counselors to come up and encourage you to uh, bless someone before you leave today. Encourage someone in the Lord. And again, God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day and week in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.